Welcome to the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, where I believe a healthy world is based on transparent conversations. In today's episode of the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, I sit down with Dr. Brian Stepanenko, who recently retired from the military after completing seven years as an active duty Army family physician. He was also a firefighter, paramedic in South Florida prior to his military medical career. Now, I have worked with Dr. Stepanenko in the military sector for the last six years, and I'm thrilled to announce he recently joined the practice as the lead physician and is an ambassador for the Institute for Muscle-Centric Medicine. Dr. Stepanenko practices lifestyle and performance medicine with specialty training in functional medicine and is teaching staff for the military's only functional medicine training pathway. He lectures internationally on warfighter human performance and wellness, focusing on ways of identifying and mitigating threats to health and performance in the military operational environment and everyday life. I'm thrilled to be able to bring this to you. And in this episode, we talk about what functional medicine is, how you can understand the key pillars to your own health, how to get to the root cause of any dysfunction that you may be encountering. Dr. Stepanenko is one of the finest physicians I know. He's full of integrity, passion, is incredibly articulate. Please take a moment to share your thoughts on this episode. Like, subscribe, comment, share. We are so grateful for your time and attention. Dr. Brian Stepanenko. Hey, Gabrielle. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I am so excited to introduce you to the world. You are my lead physician in the practice. And the truth is I've been recruiting you for five years. And finally made the jump. I'm ecstatic to be here, ecstatic to be part of the team. Um, can't say enough amazing things about your leadership and the the team of unicorns, literally, that you've assembled. Um, just amazing high performers and just happy to be part of that. Well, the truth is you, is you are no slouch. Um, you recently retired from the military. You've had a incredible career. And I think that the listeners and, of course, the practice, we are so lucky to have you. Please share a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so, yeah, first off, I have a very clear mission and purpose in life, and, and that is to bring the best of what's possible uh, to just amazing high performers. And I originally thought uh, it was going to be a, a full career military only. Um, you definitely helped me understand and expand that that thought process that I'm able to serve my mission and purpose um, and treating any and all high performers. And I've just been blown away by the patient population that we attract, uh, that our practice that I get to treat day Incredible. in, day out. I mean, so many times I've, I've texted <laughs> you already say, listen, I love my darn job. <laughs> And uh, been blown away by the opportunity to to join you in your mission and purpose. Uh, it just aligned with me phenomenally. So me personally, um, I, I'll go all the way back. Uh, we want to hear it all. Everybody wants to know who it. is my origin Dr. story, Doctor Brian. All right, yeah, beautiful. So um, I'm a cancer survivor. I had leukemia when I was three until I was five. So um, I 
I was too young to really remember that portion of the experience, but through my family's experience, I, I understood, um, you know, what that impact was on the family, but that definitely lined my family up and my mom in particular to really focus on integrative uh, strategies for health, supporting health, because I was lucky as hell to come out of that and uh, was a happy-go-lucky kid, um, energetic, and I was able to start uh, school at the same time as my peers, um, so five years old in remission. But food is medicine, exercise is medicine, um, integrative uh, and holistic modalities was definitely part of how she thought, and that translated to a lot of what I found important growing up. So um, in general, that resonated with me from extremely young age, and I went on to uh, become a firefighter. And w one thing that I, I don't get to, to tell often is that uh, they actually granted us a wish, Make-A-Wish Foundation granted us a wish and sent my family to uh, Disney World. But the face of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the person that interacted with us was a firefighter. And he um, later, he lost touch with our family for about 15 years or so, maybe even 20. But when I um, graduated the and, and got hired at the fire department, he actually pinned the badge on me. Oh my um, gosh. So when I, when I became a firefighter, so I was a firefighter for five and a half years, uh, firefighter paramedic career. And um, the guys that I worked with literally raised me. Um, and I actually got put into a leadership position very early. So a young buck, 21, 22, put in charge of people that were um, literally retired from other departments. It was a, a fantastic growth opportunity to learn how to lead when you're not the highest authority individual, when you're not the most seasoned person and when you don't know it all. Right. So it was a phenomenal growth experience. I, I jokingly say that they literally raised me. You know, I grew facial hair while I was there. Um, Impressive. I, I right. I hope that never happens to me. <laughs> so, um, Firefighter paramedic, the medical stuff just really came easy to me. Um, and I enjoyed distilling complex concepts to be able to teach it in a way that was just super simple and easy to understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that in particular really um, set me up for awesome patient care, uh, really good educational um, experiences. So that 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 really created a strong foundation for me when I ultimately went to medical school, got a military scholarship to How go there. How did you decide? So you were a firefighter for five and a half years and mm -hmm. a paramedic. So do they train all firefighters to become paramedics or you can choose? How does that work? Right. Very different, depending upon state, depending upon region. So down in South Florida, they, uh, they do hire you in a career role as dual firefighter and medic or firefighter and EMT. So medical and fire work in the same building and the same individuals are duly trained. Um, so I, I worked for Seminole Tribe Fire Rescue and, and that was uh, working for Seminole Indians. And that in itself was a really unique experience because we had rural um, areas that we served as well as urban areas that we served. So we were duly trained as wildland firefighters and uh, structural firefighters um, and did a lot of public service uh, cool. activities as well. But um, fantastic uh, experience. And yeah, the um, military seemed just to be more experiences and opportunities. Uh, basically, in my mind, I was equating it to a bigger fire department. So the brotherhood, the, um, the ability to serve a higher mission and purpose and to live a servant life um, and, and really kind of protect the health and well-being of others, uh, that 100% resonated with me. So I just saw it as all opportunities, no obligations. It was just an exciting opportunity. So got the scholarship, went to the University of Miami for medical school, 
And in my first month of medical school, a mentor of mine that I had been chasing for a while, he was a leader in the exercises medicine initiative with the American College of Sports Medicine. He knew I had an interest in uh, integrative modalities and holistic care. So he said, hey, there's this lunchtime lecture that I think you should go to. <laughs> yeah. And lo and behold, it was Mark Hyman talking about functional medicine at the University of Miami in Florida. And they were just initiating a partnership with my, my medical university that ended up being the entire four years that I was there. Um, the, there was every two weeks, diverse professionals uh, coming to learn about functional medicine from some fantastic leaders at the time and even still currently um, at the University of Miami. So come hell or high water on a Saturday, even if I was celebrating an exam being done and, you know, hung over from the bar. Not that you were ever hung over. <laughs> Never. No, I don't drink. Uh, so I would I would make sure my butt was in seat for the the uh, every other Saturday learning about functional medicine and um, having these professionals that were at different parts of their career looking at me and saying, you're going to do good things because you're just learning about this now. Like your brain is really open, wide open. And I really felt like I was training two brains. I was training a brain to pass the test and conventional medical care. Uh, um, it's, it's excellent for urgent care, for emergent care, um, and even internal medicine. Like when, when things go wrong and you need uh, life-saving measures now, by all means, like totally. I, I learned that part. But then I was learning this whole concept of what's possible with lifestyle, medicine, integrative modalities, personalized medicine to a, a degree that I've never heard outside of those, those educational opportunities and outside of those professionals. So picked up some fantastic mentors in that area too, that put me, uh, put me in front of an opportunity to go to Loma Linda University. They had an elective rotation for med medical students in their fourth year. Uh, to learn about functional medicine there. And I had four years of exposure to functional medicine. So they loved uh, yeah. having having me over there. And they actually let me um, follow a few practitioners in the local area that had their um, their clinical, uh, they had their, their clinics set up and I got to go shadow, uh, learn about their functional medicine care delivery model. Um, and by the time I was graduating, I've had that exposure and knew what's possible and now i was going into a conventional military medicine rotation and military medicine residency so, so how does that that work for the for the listener to understand yeah. you go through med so you went into medical school on a military scholarship right is that is that essentially yes. am i getting that yeah right once you get accepted, you show them the acceptance letter and they allow you to apply for the military scholarship, which uh, I, I was awarded. Which is incredible. And was that already, were you uh, designated to go into the army? Did you get to pick your branch? How does that work? Uh, we designate beforehand. So you apply for an army scholarship I or that Navy scholarship. <laughs> yeah. So I, I figured... Family medicine is where I, where I saw myself and um, the most locations and opportunities to serve in very diverse roles. The army was was that solution for me. Um, so I just wanted to maximize opportunities and maximize uh, locations and, and various jobs that an army family physician can do. So picked army, got scholarship, went to medical school, got that exposure was thinking very differently than the average first year family medicine resident in the army. Um, and throughout the residency experience, all three years in Fort Benning, Georgia, 
I was chasing additional functional medicine education opportunities, getting my advanced practitioner uh, um, certifications uh, to where I, when I graduated residency, I also graduated uh, advanced functional medicine practitioner, uh, got certified as that. So one or two years into my actual clinical practice outside of residency. Where um, did they station you? I got to Fort Bragg and I was, uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina was my, my first uh, location for um, for clinical practice, so my first big boy job, and were you nervous? I was very nervous, but extremely excited. Uh, no longer being in residency, I know Shane, your husband, is just starting uh, residency, and and we're um, comparing some notes of what his experience is and how excited he is right now. And I'm remembering, you know, when I was starting residency, um, but. The job that I rolled into was a, a, uh, a blessing in disguise. It really was because I was replacing a geriatrician trained family medicine doc that was at the end of his career. And he had the most complex panel of um, veteran, uh, so veterans and chronic pain patients. And I, I kind of compare this to some of your uh, geriatrician training background to where when you have complexity, early in your career, you're either going to sink or swim. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I found a way to swim and I had to swim fast and I was very, uh, open to training up and teaching, uh, the, and empowering the rest of my support staff, finding out who all is part of my team. How can I leverage everybody to the, to the maximum of their capability and scope? How can I even train them beyond their scope, uh, mm -hmm. to where they can help me make good decisions. And then I have confidence that they can gather the right info, make great decisions and that I then trust them. Um, so 100%, uh, I, I loved the fact that I had that complexity to start off with. And I look back on that and say that that was a fantastic springboard to just get me comfortable with being uncomfortable and making hard decisions with partial information. Yeah. Um, so that, that was how I learned to start incorporating functional medicine. I had, I had to, cause once you learn these things, you can't unlearn them you and you start thinking, you right. start thinking very differently. Um, so. I was working with people on the polypharmacy part of the equation, uh, getting very comfortable with scary medication lists and um, helping people rethink um, utilizing their, their pain meds in combination with other modalities, some self-care skills, how to incorporate that. And I was learning how to practice a version of functional medicine uh, while seeing 16 to 22 patients a day. Oh, and so many. That's why, honestly, the role that I <laughs> yeah. have right now in the practice that we have, I mean, we get to spend 90 minutes with an initial uh, patient. I really get to know the person that I'm, that I'm engaging. And I'm just so grateful for that opportunity and that time. Um, so the experience now is extremely different than how I had to yeah. practice a version of functional medicine in the military healthcare system. And um, so I got comfortable with uncomfortable fantastic opportunity. I was treating special operation veterans as well as conventional veterans, family members, chronic pain patients, complex comorbid patients, and was still figuring a way to practice a version of functional medicine, especially with um, lack of access to some of the advanced specialty labs um, that I'm now comfortable with. Yeah, and which we and, get a uh, yeah, order our, now, so lucky. Right, right, honestly, if I had the ability to look at the things that we look at in our practice now, 
I, I feel like I, I would have been practicing a very different version of the functional medicine, but I was doing the best with what I had and doing the best with what I, what I could, had access to. Not only that, once I started doing that uh, and picking up some additional mentors in the m- military functional medicine space, which there was only a few of us. Right. So there's like what? Dave LeMay. Dr. Dave LeMay, right? So he's a civilian and contractor, and he um, is essentially sought out for some high-level care. Um, he was Very high-level. <laughs> yeah, and he was being sought out outside yeah. of the system. Yeah. Um, so the question is, who inside the system was doing a version of what I was trying to do and learning to do? And I found some individuals. Milin Huynh is uh, a... A fantastic friend, mentor. Uh, She is Air Force. She was Air Force. And at the end of her professional career, about to transition to to veteran status and retire. And she saw in me the potential and pulled me under her wing. And we started co-lecturing and educating together uh, in the military functional medicine space, really building up a foundation of professionals that were like-minded. So we had the lifestyle medicine individuals, we had integrated medicine individuals, people that wanted to practice a better version of personalized care. And uh, we, we expanded the network and the Institute for Functional Medicine ended up pairing up with a Walter Reed organization yes. called the National Capital Region Pain Initiative, and they started a military functional medicine training pathway that's been active for the last, uh, this will be the fifth year uh, running. And it's paid for by the military. It's the only military pathway where you can learn functional medicine, and it's up at the best institution, uh, a center of excellence, Walter Reed. Yeah. So they pulled me in as teaching staff and faculty, um, and it's been a, a blessing and honestly such joy and fulfillment in that training role. And I never thought I was going to do education. I, I see myself. I'm surprised about that because you are such a good speaker and you are so charismatic, whether it's at the military special operations conferences or, mm. you know, the, these tactical naval special warfares. I mean, everybody gravitates towards you. So Thank to you. me, uh, lecturing that. and speaking would be a no brainer for you. I'm, I'm passionate. That's, that's yeah. the easy, that's the given. Um, and that ability to translate kind of concepts, co- uh, complex concepts down to really easy to digest and understand mm-hmm. that came natural for me because I had to, um, when I was at the fire department. And I really think that was a foundational, um, experience for me. Um, I literally had to make it easy to understand for firefighters who had attention span, uh, extremely small. I know Nothing against firefighters, but no. Dr. Stepanenko is a firefighter, <laughs> exactly. was a firefighter. I I know because I am, right? There you go. So I, I had to think of how would I teach this to myself if I was as distracted as I, <laughs> I, I am and how, as I was. So I don't know. You crushed those battle ropes this morning. So we're... we're, we're uh, that workout this morning was awesome. Yeah. I, I appreciate that every time we get together, uh, we work out in the morning and that's an opportunity for us to catch up and resonate before the day, for before sure. the workday. So that's fantastic. Our team is non-negotiable. Anyone on our team is fit. Yes. They have to live what they are talking about. I think all of us have done the 75 hard before. Um, all of us work out regularly. And that's Not why- Not Shane. I, <laughs> what a lazy dude. Your husband's, uh, he, he's by, <laughs> by, by proxy, by association. He's awesome. Um, and yeah, he's put in his time. <laughs> so um, yeah, forget where we're at. No, you were talking about how you implemented and was able to begin to lecture and speak and became sought after to talk to and implement these things. 
Yeah, so that experience, those three years at Fort Bragg, uh, got me comfortable in figuring out a way of doing a version of functional medicine in the military health system that uh, allowed me to teach others some of what works and what doesn't work, especially in constrained environments. So it was even nicer to be able to teach some of these concepts to the people that were then specialists who had 60, appo 60 minute appointments, maybe even longer, because they could do a better version of what I did. So if anything, I, I helped tell them, hey, this is what's possible. Here's some tools, resources. This is knowledge transfer. Here's lessons learned. Yeah. And we created documents, templates, um, and it made ourselves extremely available to support, mentor, what, you know, whatever's necessary, because this became a life mission and purpose for me. Uh, I remember being at a functional medicine conference. It was an energetics, um, energetic, bioenergetic uh, advanced practice module. And Dave Rakel was um, on, on the stage and he did a group activity where we sat back to back, uh, all of the attendees, and he asked uh, the question, what do you want your health for? And he had us ask each other that in succession three times. What do you want your health for? What do you really want your health for? What do you really, really want your health for? And what became clear to me uh, was a mission and purpose that I wanted to bring functional medicine to the military. And there was such an opportunity and a gap and that became a fire in my belly. And that still to this day is, is a huge part of the fire in my belly. But I got to tell you, I felt that once again, when you were lecturing to our military functional medicine community, I, I had made sure that we got you on the docket and said, you know, she needs to, she needs to, to share her version of functional medicine that she's practicing. Um, and when you started talking about the science behind the muscle centric medicine and the approach, it was such a wake up call. And I, I felt that fire in the belly again. And I, I remember immediately reaching out to you and engaging you. Uh, I, I remember our conversation too, because it was in part about having young kids at home, how we were Which, both. By the way, you have three, I have two. Yeah, yeah. Our kids are around about the same age. I just got one more. <laughs> um, Brutal. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, I remember engaging you and just being so darn excited because I'm saying, listen, I mean, this makes too much damn sense. Nobody's talking about this. The science is here why aren't we doing more with this? Like y you need help getting this message out. And, and like this resonates completely with me. And then even more recently, I was thinking about that, like the muscle centric approach to care and the, the version of functional medicine that you practice with this muscle centric um, medicine it, and that we get to do yeah. is, is a, um, it's applying the Pareto law, the 2080 principle, to human performance and performance optimization and wellness optimization. And I make it a point to say that it's the performance optimization component too, because you need to be living your best life and functioning well into your old age. And not only your old age, but right now. And how can you narrow the focus and keep it simple, but use evidence-based practices yes. to have wellness and health as a byproduct. And that made it like crazy simple. And, and that's why your, res your message with the muscle-centric medicine and the, and the science just resonated completely with me. And that's when we really picked up conversations and you were saying that's after you know four or five years of knowing me. And I was really starting to, to make some hard decisions saying, do I continue on a path where my next professional roles will be more administrative and removed from clinical care? 
or do I want to continue to be the thinker doer and learn a version that a version of, of medicine and practice a version of medicine that I, that I will be excited about every day. And that's what I get to do with you. And the, the muscle centric medicine, functional medicine approach to care, the way that we're able to provide care for people is nothing short of just joyful fulfillment, uh, completely gratifying. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I literally thank you and, and am very appreciative. Um, my whole family all sees like the, the joy that I get from being able to come to work and, and engage you and the patient population that you yeah. attract. So just genuinely, you know, thank you, um, wow, for thank you. letting me chase yeah. you around and, and join your practice. Um, and yeah, I'm ecstatic about the, the version of care and the, the quality of care that we're able to provide. And, uh, part of my experience has been, you know, directly seeing the results it's incredible. Of, of, it's incredible. yeah, of your patient care and now my patient care and the, the patient experience in general. Um, if, if you're out there and you're thinking about it and you're on the fence, get in the door, get in front of us. Uh, we have the opportunity to just, uh, achieve some amazing results for people that have been hitting the wall time in time again, get so frustrated with the clinical experiences, uh, in the conventional setting. And we take the time and we get the time to really dive deep, understand you in context over time, figure out why certain treatments in the past haven't worked, even other functional medicine practitioners that they've seen um, and the, the issues haven't been full, fully resolved. Right. We get after that. Yeah. And we, we get to get fix after that. So, you know, yeah. I think that one of the things, there's many things that I really appreciate and love about you. And you are a savage, right? I mean, it's true. You are an absolute A player. You know, I've had this practice for, let's see, I've been in practice. I've been seeing patients since 2006. I've had a version of my own practice since 2016. And I am very protective of my patients. Any of my patients listening, um, you know, we don't take everybody. We take the people that are the right match for the practice and on the same wavelength. With that being said, I don't want anybody less than the absolute best interfacing with my people. And i that's what you bring, not only in clinical knowledge, which you've had a tremendous amount of clinical knowledge, and we're going to talk about your work in special operations, but your ability and leadership is incredible. And you who you are as a person is outstanding. You know, one of the things I think is really important as a provider is it's not just about the algorithmic approach, like, hey, you want to lose weight. Hey, you want to build muscle. That's great. You need a physician that is going to step in that fire with you and stop at nothing to be able to get you where you want to go. I was at a very professional conference uh, yesterday um, and uh, in general, it came time to relay a concept that is, is getting after exactly what you're talking about. And I, I couldn't help but say it in a way that ended up saying a curse word. So I had to apologize ahead of time. And I'm like, listen, you're, I gotta, allowed, you're allowed to curse on this. Yeah. Show. Hey, yeah. I got to apologize. I need, I need to say it plain English, but uh, your ability to resonate and create a trusting cooperative relationship with that patient, they need to feel a high give a shit factor mm -hmm. and your give a shit factor needs to be high. Um, and, caring for the population that, that we get to care for and it, 
the special operation community, even uh, the elite entrepreneurs that, that you attract, and um, just the, the people that are ready to get after it, the super motivated patients that end up in front of us that just want to be better and they're ready to tear the world down to make it happen. Um, that's, that person motivates me to try and match their their energy and i i'm 100 ready to jump in the ring with them yeah and that's that's it we do it together yep. um so the ability to form that alliance that trusting cooperative relationship get to a shared understanding of what's happening why and what'll make it better um that's literally the first two parts of the process of healing yeah you know um so the give a shit factor has to be high and yeah. and it is so easy uh and and just ener energizing uh, to be able to treat the patient population that you do and yeah. that we do. We do, we do. We, we are do. we are a team and we have a great team behind us. What? When was your interest in special operations? When, when did that kind of evolve? Because the mm -hmm. truth is you're, you've always been incredibly driven. You've always been a servant leader, which is actually what makes a phenomenal person and a phenomenal, phenomenal physician. It is about... It is about the servant aspect and then actually stepping up as a leader for those people. The special operations community is a very unique community. I had uh, no understanding of what it meant to be a special operations uh, warfighter until my the end of my second year of military residency. Um, I was at Fort Benning, Georgia. That's the, the location of the Rangers. And in general, um, they're some of the the most fantastic tip of the spear, um, uh, elite war fighters, but I had no direct interaction then with while I was there. Um, really my interaction first started through master Sergeant Jeff Dardia, um, the director for task force Jeff, Dagger foundation, yeah. uh, special operation force health initiative. And, um, I met him while I was on an elective rotation to Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. So I was up there spending some time with Mark Hyman, Patrick Hannaway, um, and I also was learning about shared medical appointments and group visits. And in general, that was a, a mind-blowing experience. But while I was there, uh, one individual had pulled me to the side while I was at the Center for Functional Medicine Clinic, and he said, hey, you know, we've got this pathway that every Thursday we save a slot and we have elite warfighters, uh, some Green Berets and special operation community members come for care. So we save this spot and it's a pathway that this one guy, Jeff Dardia created. Um, do you know Jeff Dardia? And I'm like, well, you know, the army's pretty big. We don't know everybody. Uh, so they introduced me to Jeff Dardia and our first phone conversation, uh, if you've ever just resonated so hard with somebody on the first conversation, that was, it was like um, that movie Step Brothers where <laughs> we were like, you wanna go do karate in the garage? Oh my gosh, it was it was amazing how, how quickly he and I resonated about what's possible and the fire in our bellies, but from totally different perspectives. He, he had um, broken in every way that you can break and was hitting the wall, um, getting the wrong answers, uh, answers that he wasn't accepting with conventional military medicine and knew there was something more. Um, and he had pursued uh, different avenues for care, um, for trying to, to understand there's got to be more than what they're saying. It's not all in my head. Right. Um, so he found his way to the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine and got fixed by, through functional medicine. And he said it was for him, it was one of these never again episodes. Um, you know how you'll have some of those uh, events in your life where you're like, 
nobody should ever have to go through this again. And that was his motivation to initiate a care pathway that saved a spot at once a week for Green Berets, special operation community members, anyone that needed that level of care was now able to get it. And he and I started educating together and started doing workshops and lectures and briefings to varieties of audiences about threats to health and performance in the military operational environment. And we, uh, we did our first lecture with me, Lin Huynh, uh, the other mentor that I meant mentioned, and uh, two other amazing practitioners, uh, Kara Parker, she's a functional medicine certified educator uh, with the IFM as well. And we did a joint lecture for military family physicians in 2018 um, that solidified like our mission and purpose and, and really showed me that this education, like it starts with education and, and this needs to happen more. And we took that concept, those, uh, that content and took it on the road and did lectures and briefings for military spouses. We did it for special operators. We did it for command teams and we've talked about it for gen, gen pop and some of the military nonprofits as well. So we've been in the space of, uh, educating on threats to health and, um, performance in the military operational environment, but those, that content and that framework translates to anybody, everybody, everybody. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of the things that we landed on as a way of teaching and communicating to others, how you can think about things differently and you don't have to wait and be a victim. And it's not a question of if, but it's a question of when and how you're going to get exposed. Uh, you're going to get these burdens and how can you identify check engine lights early, assess early and intervene early, starting with self-care first. Hmm. So, um, we've got some fantastic content that we built out, iterated and improved. And we actually have a, we actually have a military medicine article coming out and, uh, a, a great academic military journal uh, about the lectures and the briefs that we do, the force health protection briefs. So that content uh, really resonates with any any audience because uh, we can we can massage the concept uh, as needed to, to educate different uh, different audiences. Uh, but once again, the framework itself it translates to the the work that we get to do with anyone. Um, so it's it's been fantastic uh, to develop to help share that thought process, to help build that community and to create that educational content that we can then um, help enlighten uh, any any audience. I, That's so valuable. Um, and, you know, we, we do have a team, we have a great team and we have certain, um, you know, mission, values. Do you want, do you ha actually have access to our stuff, the phone? We do. I got the, uh, our team, team document pulled up, which, we, uh, for any listeners, we use this to start off all of our team meetings. So whenever we touch base as a team, the team of unicorns that you've assembled once again, uh, we, we remind ourselves and we start off by re reminding uh, ourselves of the mission, the vision, and our core values. And I'll read them off for the audience so everyone can understand. A uh, lot of time and thought process went into this. As, as you had these new team members join, like we figured this out together. Uh, so our mission is that we're changing the arc of public health by shifting the perspective from pathology to optimal health through muscle-centric medicine. And our vision is Gabrielle Line and the Institute for Muscle-Centric Medicine serve as a leader and a beacon for patients and professionals of any age striving to optimize their wellness and performance in a personalized, integrative, and evidence-based way by focusing on muscle as the pinnacle of health. Hell yeah. Boom. Boom. 
So our core values, and these I resonated with fantastically when I saw um, them in your creative work slides. And I was like, this needs to be front center. Yeah. And this needs to be reminded, like we need to, to start our meetings with this. So we do now. Um, first value, science matters. Take a scientific evidence-based approach to health. Next one, be credible. Know your stuff and stay current. Next one, honorable service. Act with integrity and earn the trust of those in our care. Don't settle. Be tenacious and give your all no matter the obstacle. Show compassion. Respect the dignity of others through kindness and empathy. Question the status quo. Question for understanding at, with an question for understanding with an open mind. Don't blindfully follow the herd. Heck yeah. And love that. Those just really set the tone for me and for our team. We set the tone at the beginning of each meeting, um, mission, vision, those core values, uh, fantastic way to, to jumpstart any meeting. Yeah, we know exactly what we're trying to do in the world and thinking about muscle as the organ of longevity. And what does that mean? You know, you and I were talking on the way to the gym this morning about how muscle is the easy lever to pull. Yeah. It, yeah. I, we talk about content, function, and context. And I, I, I always have like f fun or, or categorical ways of thinking about things. So when, uh, when you and I have been having our conversations about muscle-centric medicine and the evidence behind it, I, I tend to mentally categorize these things into um, content, uh, content, function, and context. And in general, um, focusing on each of those three areas of the skeletal muscle allows you to create the foundation and the signals um, for muscle, uh, muscle to, to be in its optimal state of health and integrity and function and the context. And that context is really the functional medicine component uh, layer to that whole experience. Because if you've got inflammation, if you've got gut bugs, uh, parasites, dysbiosis, if you're not digesting and you're malabsorbing um, and you've got your micronutrients all over the board, then that context is suboptimal and you're never going to fully achieve uh, the full muscle health potential. Right. So muscle health potential is that other area that we've been really thinking on is is. Uh, you know, we already do a fantastic job of quantifying muscle health potential and um, acknowledging we can do so much better in this, 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 and that area. Yeah. Um, and I, I, we get to focus on that with every patient. We said, what's your true muscle health potential? Where are you hitting some roadblocks? What are the things that you already know that are, that are blocking you? How can we make it simple and easy to address those? But then what are the things maybe you haven't even thought about that are driving the bus, that are creating complexity for you when you don't need it? Um, so really removing barriers that people didn't even know were barriers. That's the real exciting part of yeah. the job that we get to do. Yeah. Do you want to touch on some of the, the barriers that, I mean, again, it is about muscle as this pinnacle of health. And exactly what you're saying is how do we, well, number one, muscle is the easiest organ to influence. Mm -hmm. It's not fat tissue. That's pathology. But skeletal muscle, mm -hmm. you know, when we think about the concept of muscle-centric medicine, which you guys, we will be doing more episodes like this that will outline, you know, what are the medications that can potentially affect skeletal muscle health in a negative way? What are the medications that can protect and potentiate skeletal muscle health? Uh, you know, there's, there's all ways in which when we focus on muscle as the pinnacle, 
the levers that we can pull to drive health and wellness and this trajectory of aging and just being a stud your entire life, right? It's, you know, or studette, whatever, <laughs> uh, begins with this incredibly powerful organ system, which mm. is uh, skeletal muscle. And you were saying that we're working on tools. We've just created a new assessment for how we can identify muscle health. We could talk about that. I would also love for you to mention some of the roadblocks and things that we treat on a daily basis. Right. Uh, muscle health assessment questionnaire, we're trying to figure out and create uh, something that didn't exist, which would be a yardstick, something that anyone can take to understand where they at with their muscle health potential and to create a bit of a composite metric or a score to where you can take our questionnaire that, that we'll make available in, in due time. Uh, just need a little more refinement and you'll be able to understand where you're at with your muscle health potential. And that will highlight, um, you know, the, the opportunities for improvement. So I'm super excited about that and other educational material, eBooks and whatnot. Uh, we'll be talking about some of these hidden, um, hidden things, hidden stressors that are preventing you from achieving your optimal muscle health potential. Yeah. And that's medications like you touched on, uh, hormonal, uh, axis, mm -hmm. uh, derangements or dysfunction. And that can be thyroid, adrenal, that can be sex hormone, but there's so many, uh, ways of optimizing that. And so many ways that people are suboptimal and even symptoms that you can easily identify that we, we say are check engine lights at home to where if you're experiencing these check engine lights, you know, look for this in the eBooks that we come out with. But if you're experiencing these, these check engine lights, then you should get them evaluated or you can maybe take these steps for self-care first. Yeah, absolutely. So um, hormonal axis is one, um, dysbiosis, maldigestion, malabsorption. So really focusing on the gut, another huge area. Huge. Yep. And we, I, we definitely do deep dive with every patient on we that. We have to. Yep. Have, I mean, special. Now, again, our practice services elite military war fighters, but we also service anyone ready to get after it. I mean, yeah. if you vibe with what we are talking about and the way in which we are, you can bet your bottom, no pun intended, has my mom jokes, mom jokes are <laughs> uh, coming in hot. That was a good one. <laughs> um, that everybody has, you know, it's interesting. Everybody has mm. some gastrointestinal exposure. I, I really think it's almost the elephant in the room. And here's why, a couple of reasons why. Let's say you deployed, you went to X, Y, and Z, right? So did you go to Afghanistan? Did you go to Africa? Anywhere you went, mm -hmm. you're gonna pick something up. I, I truly believe Guaranteed. that. Listen, 100% of our patients who have traveled to these countries come back with things that maybe they don't initially realize that mm -hmm. are that, that's creating um, gut inflammation, malabsorption, you know, when we do nutrient testing. But the other thing is that we eat foods from all over the world. Mm -hmm. We now live in a global world. We are not just eating local, locally sourced foods. Right. You might get um, an avocado from Ecuador. Right? My dad lives in Ecuador. You're eating foods that are coming from all over. Mm -hmm. So yes, we do a very deep dive into gut health, which actually includes infectious disease. Right. We don't do the standard. I'm amazed uh, <laughs> at the amount of resolution people will get from just looking and then addressing the the infectious disease component uh, intestinal related and that's something i i was not on my radar at least to the degree of what i'm aware of now right. as being part of your practice to 
how to test, how to look, and you've definitely established some best practices that I'm honored to to have access to now on how to really get after true gut health, uh, intestinal integrity, function, dysbiosis, and the parasites and worms. Like we we get to to learn things about people that nobody else like knows, and, and they also fix don't want anyone to share. All right, hundred percent. Want me to send you a picture? No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we do not want to see a picture of that. Right. Uh, um, so. Yeah, the the um, population that that we end up serving, especially uh, the fact that they've they've hit the wall with conventional approaches to care, it ends up being some of the things that people don't normally test, don't normally look for that we do on the regular. And that's thinking about things like mold exposure, thinking about things like the potential for Lyme, thinking about things uh, dysbiosis or parasite or worm related. Um, and supporting simple things like supporting digestion. Um, literally the, the correct use of things like prebiotics, probiotics, uh, digestive enzymes, uh, betaine HCL and, and ox bile support. So those things are not common tools in the toolboxes for conventional training. And we get a chance to use that every day, um, for the patients that need it. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, the, those hidden drivers that are taken away from your muscle health potential, we address them all the time. That's part of that context. And that's like the special third component of the, the muscle health, um, framework is the content, the function and the context. And the context really allows us to get after that functional medicine component, uh, of this approach. And that's the beauty that I've found in, in our approach to care now is that we get to layer in the best of kind of both focuses. And, and I'll tell you that fire in my belly is, is hot for, yeah. for the muscle centric focus because it's the Pareto law. It's the 2080 principle. It's keeping it simple. And then we get to remove all these hidden barriers that are preventing you from focusing small and getting big results. Yeah, uh, I love that. Focusing small and getting big results. If someone is listening and thinking, okay, well, how do I know if I'm reaching you, you know, my potential or one's potential? And I will say that no matter what, you can do better. Mm -hmm. No matter what. And you can't settle. Life is so short. And you don't want to wait until there's an issue or a problem before you begin to address it, which I think that, mm -hmm. you know, again, we service a lot of people that are very aggressive in nature and in their own life. And individuals with that mindset will continue to push at the expense of their health till it becomes a, a cap, right? You can only show up in your life as as high and as robust as your health, period, end of story. I was just recently at Operation Black Site, um, Dan Fleischman and Bedros Koulian, it's, it's their ranch, this, this ranch, and it's a, it was a group of, Tim Kennedy was there, it was a group of really alpha dudes, alpha entrepreneurs, mm. and they're all fit, mm. jacked, tan, probably all have good testosterone, you know? They're, you know, they are just beasts of humans. But the one thing, that individuals fail to understand, and I talk to them about this, is that the drive to do more and be more comes at a cost. Mm. And at the peak is when you are most vulnerable, when you're at the height of your success, when you are crushing it, mm. because all of that dopamine and all of that drive and all of that motivation is addictive. And once you're at that peak, you better believe that you will fall below baseline. 
You will not hit your normal baseline, but you will mirror that peak will be as low as any entrepreneur, as any get after a human will go. And at that peak and that trough, those are the, the points of vulnerability when it comes to really diminishing one's potential because the natural tendency will be to push harder. Now I got this. I'm going to take more Adderall, maybe a little bit of modafinil or um, I don't know, some kind of stimulant. Uh, extra caffeine, whatever it is. Energy drinks. Yeah. <laughs> Energy <laughs> drinks, <sure>. bang. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Anything to yeah. bring an individual back up to that pinnacle. But that- It's not sustainable. That is not sustainable. Not at all. So we talk about that uh, as allostatic load and specifically allostatic overload. So allostasis in general is a stressor um, that is either- known, uh, but can also be no unknown and hidden. Um, but the total allostatic burden on somebody that's running full throttle, wide open, uh, aggressive in nature is, is extremely high. And like you're saying, um, the overload component comes when you don't get back to baseline. Uh, and you've been going so hard for so long that, uh, it now has resulted in maladaptive behaviors. And, you know, stimulant use, shorten yourself on sleep, um, shorten yourself on the relationships of the people that surround you, um, uh, even self-medicating behaviors, like that's where it can become extremely problematic. And that's where actually we're going to get a lot of knowledge transfer from this military special operation community and the approaches that are now being shown to like work and, and the work that we get to do with that community, fixing some complex comorbid uh, issues that, that we're seeing some of the, the veterans now who are transitioning um, in a picture, and I'll use the term um, operator syndrome. I was, I was just thinking about that. Right, so uh, operator syndrome uh, is not an ICD-10 diagnosis. And in the, the research and academic setting, allostatic overload is definitely, a, I, I'd say, a more appropriate term. But the there was a descriptive paper that came out in 2020, Chris Free, um, fantastic friend, Great mentor, guy. awesome dude, uh, amazing human being. And he, along with five other clinicians, um, psychologists, therapists, uh, were seeing a pattern of special operation veterans that had way more than just PTSD and depression. And there was a pattern that they were identifying of sleep disorders, mood disorders, social dysfunction, um, existential crises, and have experienced extraordinary loss and extraordinary trauma. And it was this constellation picture of social dysfunction, physical issues, mental issues, and uh, neuroendocrine and metabolic conditions. And they said, this needs a term. This needs a term because we're seeing it so consistently that we need to be able to talk about it. And we need to have a shared understanding of what the hell it means. So operator syndrome came out of that paper, that descriptive paper, and this was 2020 and we had our Jeff Dardian and myself, we'd already been uh, educating on threats to health and performance in the military operation environment for two years already by this time. So we didn't know that term. We didn't use that term, not once in I'd say six to 10 of the lectures that we had done, but it was a beautiful opportunity for us to um, have a shared understanding about a potential end state. And hey, that's just the potential for an end state where the wheels have fallen off, all right? You've had check engine lights, you were putting tape over them or not getting them addressed or you didn't have confident that, confidence that people could address them appropriately. 
regardless, the wheels have fallen off. All right. So that that's the the sense of mission and purpose that I feel about the education educational component for for what we what we talk about and what you educate on what what I educate on um, that operator syndrome and how we can do better and how we can do different and it's the conversation of the path there and how do we reverse that path there and how do we empower you with understanding of what those check engine lights look like what the hell should I look for because when you know better, you do better. And we're talking about treating a population of solution-oriented, action-oriented individuals that are problem solvers. And they'll not only solve their own problem, they'll solve the problems of the people to the left and right of them. Heck yeah. So you, you teach those people how to think differently about the path there and those threats to health and military performance. You teach them to understand the check engine lights, understand your exposures, and get after solving the problem. You know, Quantify it, document it if you can. Um, early assessment, early intervention, make some better decisions about the actions that you have to do because of the job and because of the locations that you deploy to. There's, there's, it starts with education and it's going to change the curve. It's going to change the, the culture. Um, I have a strong confidence that if we do right, we'll be changing the conversation between special operation individuals. So one guy to another, rather than saying, Hey man, don't worry. I won't tell anybody. It's going to be, Hey man, your shit's messed up. You know, let me, let me show you, let me show you what right looks like. And that's going to be the conversation. It'll be different. Um, when they know better, they'll do better. And they're problem solving, not only their own problems, but the problems to the people to the left and right of them. And that's going to be family members too, because we teach them the same content and we teach them how to see the check engine lights, what to do about it at an early point. Um, don't put the tape over it. Don't let them say, I'll deal with that another time or like, I don't want to get pulled off my team. You won't get pulled off your team if you address these things early. And, and that's true mastery, no yeah. matter what. Oh yeah. That, that's being a true sheepdog, whether you're in special operations or whether you're the head of your family. Mm -hmm. And they have access to amazing services and resources. And in our practice, we make sure people have access to the best possible services, resources, and care. So they just need to know what to look for, how to act on it, when to act on it and what to ask for. And that's, that's why it starts with education. And when you talk to the military operators, they, you know, obviously you talk to the military operators and, you know, we deal with uh, civilian sector as well. What do you feel are the top threats to those outside of the warfighting community? outside of the warfighting community. Well, that beautiful thing about the framework and the way that we educate on it is that it applies to lottie dotty everybody. Um, so anyone who is as part of their training pathways, job or otherwise lifestyle choices, they are put into extreme environments and their allostatic load is, is very high. They're full throttle wide open because they have to be, or because they choose to be. Um, the framework applies and it's an acronym that we've got developed uh and stained is the word but i'll just break S it down s-t-s-t-a-i-n-e-d and we finally have the e we actually were missing the e for years uh and dave lemay thank you um he he helped me remember identify that okay there is an e so stress sleep snips trauma toxins tablets allergies, which includes uh, sensitivities and uh, intolerances, autoimmune, infections, ingestions, 
nutritional excesses and deficiencies, and then EMF and radiation. That's mm. the E. That's, okay. that's what we were missing for a while. Got it. And then digestion and dysbiosis. So I, I remember being in functional medicine training, one of the advanced practice modules, where they had a version of it. I think it was stand. And it just, it, 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 it was teaching us the content of root causes of dysfunction in such a way that resonated with my brain. Cause that's how I think any, in any ways is like fun ways of remembering things, super easy, you know, frameworks. And, uh, when we did our first lecture in 2018, uh, teaching the military family physicians, that's that was a, a handout that we ended up creating, laying out that exact uh, acronym. But that acronym applies literally to everybody because it is root causes of dysfunction, antecedents, triggers, and mediators. So things that are either setting the conditions for dysfunction to happen, uh, that are triggering the dysfunction to initiate, or that are mediating the process and continuing uh, driving the bus in the background. Mm -hmm. So antecedents, triggers, and mediators, stained acronym, uh, that's something that we teach. Um, diving deep and geeking out, I really get on a soapbox if, if you ever you know wanted me to, but uh, that's part of what we teach and, and the framework of how you can think about it. Because in each of those categories, for each of those exposures, each of those root causes of dysfunction, you can figure out check engine lights. You can figure out what a clinical picture might look like. You can figure out what relevant history might be notable. And uh, in general, uh, when you can see those check engine lights, then you can act on them. So that, yeah. that framework of care will benefit everybody. That knowledge transfer and lessons learned from this work is, is going to make an impact. Um, I, I know it. It's just a matter of time. We got to figure out how to get, get it the heck out there. Well, we're doing it uh, because that's exactly how we take a look at our patients. And one of the other things is what I, also subtly what you said was that taking the subconscious taking perhaps the things that are pushed under the rug and making it more conscious. And by being able to identify those things that are perhaps in the periphery, for example, you know, when you're seeing a, a patient in the practice, what are some of the questions and things that you're looking for? Like, let's take Stefan, the producer over here. Stefan, would you like to be a potential patient in the practice? Or, or we can take an unnamed, any unnamed patient. Uh, we're just putting Stefan in the... Hot speed. So I'll just look at you dead in the eyes <laughs> as I'm talking to you here. But how are you sleeping, Stefan? This would no, be the how much protein did you eat? Patient, right? Um, I mean, in general, we want to know where you're at right now. We want to know um, generally how you're feeling, uh, but not just about symptomatology or collection of you know labeled conditions that you know you have. Uh, I want to know. Walk me through your day. Like literally, when do you get up? Um, how do you feel? What's your energy levels? And we rate that from like one to 10 to really try and get an understanding of your energy flux throughout the day. Cause it'll change. And what are you eating? What are you drinking? Tell us about those meals. Really break it down for me. Cause we are creatures of habit to an amazing degree. And I want to know what your habits are because we're going to tweak them. Cause we're going to start exactly we're, with we're where we're coming you're at. for you, Stefan. Yeah. You should be um, nervous, right? You should be sweating bullets. Your armpits should be <laughs> And, and we're going to find ways of turning on your metabolism uh, when it needs to be turned on, turning on your muscle protein synthesis when it needs to be turned on to protect the health of what you have already, but to help you recover and optimize, really adapt to the stressors that we want you putting on yourself regularly. We want to make sure you have enough mental and physical energy to get the heck in the gym and to push some weights and push yourself hard 
mentally, physically, and show up for your team, show up for your family. So we support you from like a metabolic energy, hormonal standpoint. We remove those barriers um, that are preventing you from getting quality sleep and having optimal metabolism and having optimal hormonal health. any nutrient depletions or insufficiencies, we're gonna find those. Uh, and we love diving through some of the advanced labs that they, that you bring to the table that you might've had at some of the other practices where you, know, you thought you were getting the best care possible and you've still been hitting the wall. So we, very often we see people that have seen uh, a variety of specialists, even other practitioners, even other functional medicine practitioners. 14 other doctors. So we, we did a poll. Yeah. Um, you know, we like to collect data in the practice. The average was 14 other physicians. It is so fun to go through some of those labs and just show them our perspective, um, read things a little differently. And it tells a very different story. Um, yes. And that is that is a, a, a beautiful and fun part about functional medicine is that we can even look at conventional labs and say, okay, you see the trend here, you see you see how you know this is uh, related to that, and nobody ever connected those dots, but we do. Um, beautiful opportunity uh, that that we have having a different perspective yeah. and looking even at the same data. Yeah, you and know. also being uh, you, you you know there's a lot of confusion about what is functional medicine, who is qualified to do it, who is qualified to look at labs. And one thing that's really important to us is that we are board certified medical, we are physicians. And that is critical. We are trained in patient care, treatment, looking at blood work. I mean, we've been doing this for years, went to medical school, passed our boards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did a fellowship and, you know, you and I are both board certified physicians. I, I think that that's a critical part because right now there's a a dichotomy. You have this more holistic care, which is critical and so important. Mm -hmm. And then you have conventional care, which is really the the gap functional medicine is trying to fill Mm -hmm. and and really doing a a pretty good job at filling the gap between what is a, a bit more esoteric and also what is conventional, but the magic really comes from blending of the two. Mm-hmm. And you know, just right off the top of my head, um, you know, I can think of two patients that we saw last week. One in particular, and obviously we, we won't say their names unless they want us to, which you can check out my Instagram and uh, or our, our website where we have uh, some patients that talk about their experience. But uh, uh, you know, one guy in particular was really interesting. This is a very successful human who. Um, is a chiropractor has many chiropractic facilities and had gone through you know more functional medicine approach and the guy's dizzy he has uh vertigo and being able to say hey listen okay we're going to figure out what's going on but in the meantime we're going to give you antivert mm-hmm. we're going to be able to prescribe a medication to you while we are figuring out this thing that mm-hmm. um has you know really been ruining your life because you feel so terrible Right. And I also suspect severe sleep apnea and a bunch of other things that are, you know, a, a medical provider should mm-hmm. be looking over that. That's critical. Right. And, and again, we talk about, you know, we have multiple members on our team and a good medical care does involve nutrition, does involve, you know, more integrative, you know, uh, care, a coach when when needed. Obviously, mm-hmm. we can never get the results without having a great trainer. Right. I always recommend people to, you know, we have a handful of trainers. You know, I just recently collaborated with Don Saladino, amazing one of my best friends. He'll be on the podcast soon. We've got a a ton of great resources, but we do need a team. 
you know, just going back to an example of a patient that uh, we saw him recently, I think he was, he was a firefighter and then he was a police officer. He was uh, army four years army, and law okay, enforcement yeah. for 23. Um, amazing guy. Amazing yeah, guy. Fantastic human being. And he is uh, a leader in his community and he came to us and he was really emotional and oh, he yeah. was. He was at the end of his rope. At the end of his rope. And he, he'll tell you himself. He said, yeah. I, I, when I, when I said our patients will often come to us and be ready to tear the world down for solutions and, and ready to do anything that, uh, that, that we put in front of them because this is either last stop, last ditch effort. I think he even used that, those words. He's like, this is, this is like last ditch effort. You know, this is, this is my Hail Mary, but people, people who I trust and, and people who I believe in tell me you do things differently and you know, she doesn't mess around. She'll, she'll fix, you know, she'll fix your stuff. Yeah. And he, he had full confidence, was very uh, happy and, and just grateful to, to be there in front of us. And he said, whatever it takes. So yeah, we and- said, there's no way we're going to, we're going to fail you. Yeah. There's no way we're going to fail you. That's right. We're a team. And, and his case was so interesting. And the reason I, I bring him up is that this is a guy who never struggled with weight until he moved into a house in 2004. And then all of a sudden, he struggled with weight. His wife struggled with weight. Dog. Their dog yeah. struggled with weight. And their kids. And their kids struggled with weight. Yep. Now, you and guys nobody are thinking, made that connection. And you guys are thinking, ah, oh, well, he probably needs to exercise and eat better and do all those things and, you know, get his hormones checked. Okay, yeah, we're working on all those things. Right. But there's some chemical exposure that is affecting this individual. This is what we believe that something actually got into their the water, yeah. the water system. And, and we're going to be testing him for all those things and actually testing the water and, and his home because it was so unusual. Again, this is how do we take evidence-based uh, attributes, evidence-based medicine. So yes, we're going to address his metabolic dysfunction, mm-hmm. but we cannot discount the fact that he's been everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And why is it that despite working with multiple nutritionists, being on semaglutide, you know, Wagovi, being on right. a, and still being weight loss resistant. Yeah. However, being on a more tightened diet and his children and his dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dog is not on the And the, the neighbors. And the yeah, neighbors remember, also, yes. We had him explore that thought process and he's like, yep, to the left of me, you know, same thing, weight issues, uh, to the right of me, other health conditions plus weight issues. Like, yeah, there's a common factor here. Yeah. And, and so there you go. So that, it's that not amazing. a, I think it is about really thinking outside the box. Yeah. Cause it's easy to say, Hey, family members share. Yes. They share genes. Yes. They share, um, you know, meals. Uh, so their dietary patterns may be similar, but they also share exposures. Yeah. Um, and, and when you have a common factor like that, that elevated out of just the conversation and the deep dive that, that we got to do because we have the time uh, sure. to, to dive that deep. And because we asked those questions, uh, really elevated an opportunity. So yeah, we were looking at mycotoxins, toxin yeah. exposures, and we said, Hey, you know, let's, let's assess and we could backwards plan from whatever comes back positive. Yeah. And he, he was just so enlightened, uh, and excited about uh, the fact that we were talking about things nobody else had brought up and that we're going to look in places nobody else had looked. 
And this is a completely new thought process after 10 to 15 years of hitting his head against the wall and not getting results from some extreme measures that he had been taking. And like you said, not really even losing a pound despite being on some of the best uh, weight loss support medications uh, that he was finding any way possible to get on and to continue using. Yeah. So we were like, wow, you know. We are going to get to the bottom of it for him. And I I, I bring him up because I think that there's – a very interesting asset to the military community. So the reason I think you and I think along those lines is because of the extreme environments that warfighters have been in, mm-hmm. right? I've seen it with my husband. We, we take care of elite warfighters and we see their exposures. And I actually, uh, a commander and his family and his dog went through nearly the same thing. Mm-hmm. And what they were doing is they were spraying in the cul-de-sac that this individual lived in. And ultimately it was getting everybody around them sick. <laughs> so there are, are ways in which, um, you know, we have to think outside the box to get to, you know, we, we don't discount um, the issues in front of us, whether it's insulin mm-hmm. resistance or sleep apnea or hormonal uh, problems. But there is, if you get the, if you are asking the right question, mm-hmm then you will get the right answer if you are asking and 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 the right result yeah if you are operating under the wrong framework which again which i believe obesity operates really under this wrong framework and that's just an example but if we are operating under an incorrect paradigm of thinking like this is okay so we believe he's overweight because of x y and z and then we do those things and nothing works and then we keep doing those things because oh it's his fault come on yeah. We're missing something. And that's like telling a special operation individual whose threshold for raising their hand is already extremely high. That's like telling them that it's all in their head. If they're at the point where they're actually seeking help and your answer is, well, you look good and it doesn't seem to be anything that I know of. Can't do anything for you. It must be all in your head. That is like a death sentence. Right. Um, that is that is an answer that will drive someone to feeling hopeless, helpless, and powerless to change the situation. And for the lifetime of problem solving, for a person who's used to being in control, that is not being in control. Yeah. And that's that's where I feel that is unacceptable. And I know you feel the same. And that's why I am grateful that we have the opportunity to have a different framework approach things differently, have different conversations. And the the trickle down effect of the impact that we we have of not only fixing the person in front of us, but empowering them since now they know better and now they know different, they then share that understanding with their entire community, with their family. And honestly, like we're making an impact in pr- protecting the future fighting force because the the individuals that enlist for the military tend to come from military families and if you're talking about special operation community the kids see what dad and mom experience yeah and if they are able to serve a full career and have good health well-being and if they understand that when mom or dad you know wasn't quite right not doing well if they get better it's a very different trajectory for the the entire family unit compared to if nothing worked, nothing got them better and they got medically separated mm-hmm. or worse. So uh, literally the what we do 
has such third and fourth order and fifth order impact yeah. that I, I, I think I'm exactly in the right place, doing exactly the right thing and uh, do not question my decision at all to like jump from active duty military to where I'm at right now because of what we get to do and the impact that we're making, I think transgenerationally. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a really bigger mission than either of us and super stoked that I get to do it with you. Are you kidding? Yeah. Dr. Sabanigo, you are showing us what right looks like. That's I mean, the goal. You That's the goal. are showing us. Uh, and and you're showing me, you know, what, what right can look like. I think we've all got a piece of the puzzle. And just the the goal should be to concentrate talent. Concentrate talent, figure out what the hell right can look like, figure out varieties and versions of it. What are the core components of the turkey sandwich? I got some friends out there and some some uh, people that I have been mentoring recently in my last professional world before transitioning to where I use this analogy of the turkey sandwich, but it's so important to understand is that every place is going to have a different version of the turkey sandwich. But if you figure out what bread, meat, cheese is, core components, then you figure out what salad, what garden, what sauces and mm -hmm. seasonings like you want on it. You figure out your turkey sandwich. But you figure out the core components, you figure out what works, you figure out a model that can easily be translated or adopted or adapted for other areas. And that's, that's what we're working on. And what we're trying to show others is the bread, meat, cheese. I love right? it. Yeah. The, the bread, meat and cheese. Yeah. Although, you know, who knows, we might turn that into a wrap or <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I have to throw in some really bad humor. Yeah. If you were to give um, an individual you know, a handful of things that they could do to live their best life, what would it be? Um, before, okay. So in general, uh, the nutrition component is so critical. And I think that the simple approach, especially with the muscle-centric nutrition, is such a fantastic foundation and starting point. So eating enough of the high-quality protein to initiate muscle protein synthesis regularly throughout the day. Um, so we, we talk about, you know, your weight in pounds, uh, match that in grams of protein or at least ideal body weight mm -hmm. and, uh, at minimum first and last meal of the day and hit your threshold of at least 30 grams, um, uh, to per, per, and I call it a dose. Um, cause meals rightly aren't so, always, sir. Rightly so. yeah, aren't always, uh, meals aren't always meals, uh, in the most traditional sense, literally it might be a combination of a, a protein shake and a bar just because I'm, I'm getting after it. And I want to make sure I'm hitting my dose and, and initiating muscle protein synthesis at that time window. So, um, doing that protein dose, um, every three to five hours, like we talk about, and um, making sure that you are supporting skeletal muscle health, because that once again is a very narrow and simple focus that health and wellness is a byproduct. So protect your muscle, protect Initi your muscle. initiate muscle protein synthesis and enough hydration and fiber are the other two areas where I would say are extremely important. It's easy to walk around dehydrated. Um, a lot of individuals do it and plenty of people, including myself, um, busy career day in, day out, will have a water bottle sitting on their desk and haven't touched it by the end of the day. Right. And I say, you shouldn't walk around with, uh, chapped lips, dry mouth, or urinating infrequently. Like you, you make it more than halfway through your day and realize you haven't been to the bathroom once. So hydration is extremely important. Uh, your metabolism can be bumped up by 20 to 30% just, just by being hydrated well enough. So in general, your weight in pounds divided by two, that's a good starting point. Uh, so for hydration, that's another goal. Then fiber. Um, if you follow uh, the, 
the recommendations for some of the nutritional academies, um, they'll say for, for females, it starts around 25 grams per day. Um, for males, it's 30 to 40. So I generally say, Hey, just 25 to 40 grams per day of fiber, figure out how to get that in focus on, uh, veggies or high fiber foods, uh, high fiber fruits, uh, things like dark berries, um, or pears or apples. So higher fiber fruits, mm -hmm. if you're going to do fruits and, um, veggies eat the roughage, especially sulfur containing vegetables, um, brassica and allium family in general are great prebiotics. They also support your detoxification, biotransformation pathways. Uh, so your ability to detox and, and build your force field, um, and support good, healthy microbiome. So brassica and allium, that's, um, broccoli, cauliflower, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, um, artichoke, and then your, um, your alliums, that's the onions, garlic, um, chives, leeks, that whole family. So really focusing on plenty of those, um, build your microbiome, create your force field, uh, you know, detox appropriately. And maybe um, even throw in some urolithin A. We've been using a lot yes, of that lately. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm amazed at things that can initiate uh, mitophagy. And we know three main signals um, one being exercise. And that's something we talk about strength, uh, strength training, resistance exercise training. You got to get in the gym, you got to give the muscles the signal to grow. And you hear that, Stefan? <laughs> get down and give me 20. You got it. And then the other, like, no the other tool in the toolbox is um, fasting practices. Uh, anytime you go longer than 12 hours without caloric intake while staying hydrated, um, does give the body a signal to purge uh, dysfunctional cells and purge dysfunctional mitochondria. And that's what we're talking about with mitophagy and autophagy. Now, the other signal that, that uh, is now a tool in our toolbox um, is that you're a lithin A. And I was geeking out with uh, Shane, your husband, this morning because he's like, tell me more about this. And I was like, well, it's a postbiotic. And he's <laughs> like, looking at me and I'm like, all right. So uh, basically the allogactans from, uh, from the, the pomegranate. Potentially, right? Yep. Only 30, 40% of people, 40% of people can't make it. There you go. So cool. One of three individuals yeah. have the right probiotics, mm -hmm. the right bacteria in their gut to actually make urolithin A. Yeah. But the amount that is concentrated in this supplement that is able to achieve the metabolic benefit and the mitochondrial benefit, the mitophagy benefit, um, you would have to consume a ridiculous amount of pomegranate. It's like six cups or something crazy. Yep. And it's actually part of the white pulp that, that doesn't always make oh, it gross. Uh, into pomegranate juice. Yeah. yeah so... Uh, that's another tool in the toolbox. Yeah. So initiate mitophagy every here and there is, is a big important one so that you you minimize your, your chance of having dysfunctional cells that are either impairing your immune system, impairing your metabolic and hormonal health, and that may also be setting you up for cancer. Um, so initiate mitophagy. We talked about those three main signals. Stay hydrated. Hit your fiber and your protein goals and initiate that muscle protein synthesis regularly. And you do that through exercise. You do that through diet. That's right. Well done, sir. Well done. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Felt good about be, that. Got, <laughs> they will, there will be a quiz afterwards. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I think that those are all really good strategies. And, you know, I want to mention something. You know, in the practice, we do use supplementation and we do use medication. We use a combination and we do our very best to only support things that are evidence-based. What do I mean by evidence-based? There's a lot of talk on the internet that evidence-based is clinical experience plus practice plus science. 
when we when we're talking about evidence based mm-hmm. um, supplements, medications, there has to be rigorous science behind it before we recommend it. And and I think that that's important to mention because there's a lot of things coming out, and I think there's a lot of promises. Mm-hmm. But for example, creatine has a lot of evidence behind it. Fish oil has a lot of evidence behind it. Vitamin D has a lot of evidence behind it. Urolithin A, you know, um, I've recently really been into this company called Timeline Mm -hmm. because I love them and I believe in the research. They have over a decade of research. Mm -hmm. And and I, I... I'm not trying to go off on a tangent, but you had him on the show recently. I just uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah. Chris that Wrench, one. yeah. The um, mm-hmm. he's actually a PhD. I, I think it's really important that when you know you as a listener are at home evaluating where you are going to spend your money and your time and what levers you're going to pull or push, that it should be evidence based. There should be a rigorous scientific evidence behind what an individual is using. So, um, um, I, I have incorporated, uh, portions of, of my lecture about how to, how to speak about what the heck functional medicine is in the military space where we're somewhat open to integrated modalities, but nobody knows this term. It's a new term. It's weird. Um, and everyone understands evidence-based practice is where we need to be. Mm-hmm. So it's extremely important to understand that um, and this is slightly different than just uh, the term evidence, uh, evidence-based and in the nutritional component, got it. Um, but from an evidence-based practice standpoint, it's best available evidence that applies to the con- to the situation in front of you. So best available evidence intersected with patient preference and priority. They get to choose informed consent and uh, clinician skill, wisdom, and experience. It's the intersection of the three. So the clinician when they're experienced, they have lessons learned, they know patterns, and that's the art component is married with the science of best available evidence and married with informed consent and the patient driving the bus as to what they choose to do based off of the best awareness and true understanding of why things are important, how it might make things better, and what they are comfortable doing. So that's that's where that evidence-based practice comes into play. It's the marriage of the art, the science, and the informed consent. And I, I make sure to drive that point home because lifestyle strategies are, are a checkbox and then move on to medications and other surgeries and whatnot. Right. We live in that checkbox and we, we expand the heck out of that checkbox um, and have the opportunity to use so many other tools in the toolbox that have evidence behind it, but a lot of people just don't know about it. And that's where that art and the science and, and the, uh, the art and the, the clinician wisdom and experience that you bring to the table, that I bring to the table, that, that any other, you know, um, well-informed or well-educated, uh, integrated practitioner or functional medicine practitioner gets to bring to the table. It's, it's a different component of the evidence-based practice. Yeah. yeah. And that's really beautifully, beautifully said. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dr. Stepanenko, is there anything else that you wanted to add? I, I, Again, you will be on frequently as you are the lead physician. I really want people to get to know you. You are an outstanding human. Just, I'm so impressed. And, I'm blushing. Uh, well, he's not really blushing, guys. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not sure what he's talking about. I'm tan, but, uh, you can't he, see it. He's not much, actually right? blushing, uh, <laughs> although I'm sure we, we, can, we can get you there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's everyone who comes on this podcast and everybody and Mm. anyone who interfaces with our patients, 
they have to be the best of the best. And I believe you are the best of the best. Oh, People I have- strive. <laughs> I strive and I chase individuals like no. yourself who are the beacons that have set out there what's possible. I chase those individuals uh, that that show us a version of what right looks like, that have the puzzle piece that that I that I need or or need to include or need to consider. Um, I'm I'm chasing greatness, and that's what I get to do, and I get to do that every day working with you. Oh, well, you are a relentless human being, and uh, it took you know I that is uh, waiting for you. Uh, it was the reason I I never hired another physician. We get requests quite frequently and you know you have to be able to trust your gut on certain things mm -hmm. and i know what's right and you are a shooting star the impact that i know that you are making and will make will be second to none so thank you so much i'm gonna give you a hug right after this that's great <laughs> i'm out yep. thank you so much for joining me and thanks for having me you are amazing I'm happy to be here and excited about what we get to do together so if you uh, have been listening and you love Dr. Stepanenko as much as we all do, you can contact the practice. He also does frequent lectures and education. Um, he's a wealth of information. And I will link all the ways to find you. And uh, there you go. The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon podcast and YouTube are for general information purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice, and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast, YouTube, or materials linked from the podcast or YouTube is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional for any such conditions. This is purely for entertainment and educational purposes only.